Give them a great big hand this morning. Wow. I'm humbled to stand before you today to preach what God has laid upon my heart for this Easter Sunday morning. There's a lot of fanfare and a lot of preparation that goes into Easter Sunday morning, and it should be, because we understand what this day is. But on the day that Jesus died, no one knew. Only a few that heard him say, destroy this temple, and in three days he would build it up again. But they had no idea exactly what he meant. Saturday comes, and it's dark, and it's gloomy, and it's sad, because nobody knew what was going to happen on Sunday. But on this side of Calvary and on this side of the resurrection, thank God we know what this Sunday morning really represents. If you know what this Sunday morning represents, why don't you stand this morning with me one more time and just with the best voice and the best hand clap and the best praise that you can give him, why don't you just let him know, I'm thankful for the blood and I'm thankful for the resurrection because nobody else can, nobody else can do what you have done in my life because of the resurrection. Come on, give him praise in the house. Would you lift up your voice this morning and just magnify him? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Matthew chapter 28, if you have your Bibles and would like to turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, and I will begin with verse number 1, and I will be reading down through verse number 10. Matthew 28, verse number 1 through verse number 10. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. And there ye shall see him. Lo, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy and did run and bring his disciples word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, all hell. And they came and beheld him by the feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said unto them, be not afraid, go and tell my brethren that they go into Galilee and there shall they see me. By the help of the Lord, for just the next 25 or 30 minutes, I want to speak to you on this subject, the miracle of the resurrection. The miracle of the resurrection. Lord Jesus, thank you for your resurrection power. 
I pray this morning, God, as I begin to speak what you have laid upon my heart for this congregation, that the miraculous power of God may rest in upon this congregation and in this room, and that every heart and that every life and every person in the room may be touched by your spirit and through your word. In Jesus' name, God bless you. You may be seated. Notice with me, if you would, in our text that when Jesus resurrected, he sent a messenger which was an angel to tell Mary and Mary that he is risen. And then he tells them to go and tell the disciples. And Jesus appears to them while they're on the way to do so. And then he tells them, go and tell my brethren also. And so it appears that there was something very clear that heaven was wanting to prove by the resurrection. And that was that he was wanting to send a message to those who may have been weak in their faith. And he wanted them to know that there is nothing that is too hard for the Lord. If I can accomplish nothing else this morning with the message that I am going to preach over the next few moments, it is that I want to speak into your mind and into your heart Regardless of what your background is or regardless where you may be in faith this morning, I want to preach to you in a manner that would cause you to understand that there is nothing too hard for the Lord. Why don't you look at your neighbor this morning and just tell them there is nothing too hard for the Lord. Go ahead, tell them there is nothing too hard for the Lord. In Genesis chapter 18, the Lord told Abraham that he had not forgotten his promise to him and that he would give him a child in his old age. And when Sarah laughed at the question uh, that was asked, uh, the, 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 uh, as the story was unveiled and told, um, as Sarah laughs, the, the Lord asked the question again, is there anything too hard for the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 32, the people of God were going into battle against insurmountable odds. It was a, uh, a war that perhaps they felt they could not, uh, they could not win. Jeremiah uh, is there leading the people and the Lord said uh, to Jeremiah and to the people, I am the Lord, is there anything too hard for me? And in the gospels, a man by the name of Lazarus died and there there, there was so much doubt that was prevalent. Uh, here is a man that had died. Uh, the, the sisters Mary and Martha knew that if, uh, if Jesus would have been there, their brother would not have died. They even said that to him. Uh, it was insurmountable odds, doubt, because he had been dead now for three days and the body was beginning to decay when Jesus then stops by the tomb and Mary and Martha believed that Jesus uh, could resurrect him and that he would be resurrected in the final resurrection of the dead. But they had no faith now that their dead brother could be brought back to life because he uh, had been dead three days. As a matter of fact, they even reminded him that their brother now stinketh. Isn't it just like the Lord to wait until situations turn bad? 
and even worse before uh, out of nowhere seemingly God steps on the scene and begins to speak a word of hope and a word of faith. I, I think he is wanting us to understand something uh, very clearly by all of these examples that I've given you in Scripture this morning. I, I think God is very clearly wanting us to understand that there is nothing impossible with the Lord. In the New Testament, the Scriptures are full of promise with statements of God's power. At the miracle of the Easter resurrection, there was divine proof that nothing would be impossible for God. There, there's nobody quite like Him. There is nobody with the power of our God. There's nobody that, ha- that, can, that can say that, uh, that they could resurrect a dead body. There is nobody that could say that they could open blind eyes or or cleanse a leper or, uh, or bring the dead back to life again. But all throughout Scripture, we see Jesus doing it over and again. But it seems that on Resurrection Sunday, as we know it, uh, that he goes a step beyond because he says, not only will I uh, resurrect someone else, but I am going to go to a cross. And I am going to bleed and I am going to die. And I, ladies and gentlemen, will be resurrected on the third day. They didn't believe him. They, as a matter of fact, called him a deceiver. They said there is no possible way. They they tried to figure out a way to explain. They, They came and said that actually he must have never died. And then there were others that said they must have stolen the body. Uh, they, they tried and they continue to try over and over in different ways to declare that the resurrection never really happened. But I came this morning to tell you that I am a witness that the resurrection truly happened because he lives and he lives in me. David said in the 8th chapter of the book of Psalm, When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars that thou hast ordained. What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? He is saying there's there's nobody quite like you, Lord. When I consider everything that you've done, and I consider what you are, and I consider who you are, there's... There's nobody quite like you. In First Chronicles, the 17th chapter, the scripture says, O Lord, there is none like you, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Psalm 86 uh, says it like this, Among the gods, little g, uh, there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither is there any work like unto thy works. If I could somehow persuade you this morning that that God has the potential to do anything you can possibly imagine. If I could persuade you this morning and you could grasp a hold of the faith to believe that God not only could do it for somebody else, but he can do it in your life. I have the ability to believe this morning that we would see miracles in this house this morning when the faith in your heart truly arose.
Isaiah chapter 46 says, Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. There is no God with the power that our God has. There is nothing that my God cannot do. All we need to do, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, let our faith out and appropriate the power that is in the name of Jesus. Can I tell you this morning that when you speak the name of Jesus, you are speaking the most powerful name under heaven. When you speak the name of Jesus, you are speaking a name that is more powerful than any disease, more powerful powerful than any problem, more powerful than any affliction, more powerful than any worry. Is there any believers in the house? When you speak the name of Jesus, you are speaking a name that is more powerful than any name that has ever been named. More powerful than Muhammad, more powerful than Hare Krishna, more powerful than Allah. But when you speak the name of Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, you are speaking a name that's able to heal, set free, deliver, save, work out your problem, whatever it is, the name of Jesus has all power. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is healing in the name of Jesus. Deliverance, resurrection, salvation. I just want to remind you this morning that the name of Jesus has the potential power to do anything. When God comes on the scene, he can turn your sadness into joy. When God comes on the scene, he can turn your mourning into dancing. When God comes on the scene, he turns your tragedy into triumph. I want you to understand this morning that when you speak the name of Jesus, you are calling on the name of our Heavenly Father, our Savior, our Lord. I want you to know this morning that if my children, who are grown and big enough to protect me and their mom together, but if one of them came in a point of need and they began to call on me, that I would show up on their behalf. Any man in the room that is worth his salt this morning would, would do the same thing. If your children need you, you would be there for them. You would come on the scene. I want you to know that our Heavenly Father says it like this. If you, being flesh, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Heavenly Father know how to give good gifts unto his children? I want to ask you this morning, is there a need in your life? Is there a problem in your family? Is there a situation in your home? Is there something that you could think of this morning but you would say that would be way, that would be unimaginable, that would be unthinkable, that would be incomprehensible. That's the kind of problem God specializes in. What I'm trying to say to you this morning is that if you would just appropriate the power that is in the name of Jesus and begin to speak the name of Jesus over your situation this morning, a God that's able to resurrect from the dead is a God that's able to speak to your storm and peace will be still. He'll speak into your situation and it will resolve at the name of Jesus. With just a spoken word, he created the universe. He weighed the hills and the mountains and the balances in the palm of his hand. Everything in nature gives God glory and gives God praise. Yet, 
you and I, humans who were created a little lower than the angels, as weak as we are in so many ways, we fail and we say it's because of weakness. Yet in our weakness, we have the power to tie the hands of God. God will not force himself upon you. God will not override your desire or your will. But this morning, if you'll begin to think in your mind and, 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 and in your heart this morning, you'll begin to say, I know that I need God to come on the scene in my situation. I need God to make a way for me. I need God to answer for me. I want you to know when you begin to call on the name of Jesus, he'll come out of nowhere and he'll come on the scene to meet your need and to make a way for you and to answer your situation a God that weighed the hills and the mountains and the balances in the palm of his hand a God that all nature magnifies him and praises him in some way yet you and I lock up God and prevent him we tie his hands but not turning him loose and saying God will you work in my life he says it like this in his word I will work but who will let so the issue, ladies and gentlemen, is not that God doesn't want to work for you. A lot of people say, why does God? Well, why, did, why did this school shooting happen? Why did this situation happen? Why did this problem happen? Because we've removed God out of the equation. We prevented, we took God, we removed the Ten Commandments. We removed prayer from the school and we've removed prayer from our homes. Because I predict to you that a long time before prayer was ever removed out of the school, it was removed out of the home. And when you move prayer out of your home, don't expect your marriage to blossom with a blessing of God. I'm not supposed to preach like this on Sunday morning, somebody said. But I want to tell you that when you put God back into your life, put God back into every day, I get up in the morning. Come on, Jesus. You're going with me. Whatever I'm doing, you're going to be here. You're going to rule and reign my life when you put him back in control of your life. You are putting a power that is greater than any distraction that could come against you. Somebody says, but pastor, you don't understand what I, I live against. You don't understand the problems. You know, you're, you're a pastor. Your life's perfect. You know, your kids are perfect. Your wife is perfect. And you are perfect. And everything is lovely. You're never broke. You're never sick. Nothing ever goes wrong in your life because you're angelic. You're a pastor. Well, that's how I feel about you. You're a child of the Most High God. You're born with a silver spoon in your mouth, aren't you? You never have a problem. Everything you need, God is right there. You just speak his name. He's there to make you. As a pastor, I'm looking at you this morning thinking, wow, you must have it perfect. I mean, you're a child of God. All the blessings of God are abundant in your life. You've got God right. You know, he's a puppet on the string. When you need him, you call him. When you don't want him, you put him in the shelf. 
That's how we treat him, ladies and gentlemen. But I came today to remind you that if you'll put God back in the center of your life, when you put God back at first in everything in your life, you will find your life working a whole lot better. Your problems are not too big for my God. First Samuel chapter 14, uh, Jonathan uh, is having a conversation and, and, and there's a battle that is ensuing and uh, they're trying to figure out, uh, you know, can, can we win this battle or can we not? Uh, and there is a statement made in the 14th chapter along about the 5th verse and it says something along the lines like this. It says, well, there is no restraint to God whether he can save by many or by few. What he is saying is that God, you know, God had come through for Israel many, many times when it was a major thing, when it was like uh, Israel was going to be wiped out and annihilated, and then God would come through. And so what he's saying is that God doesn't care whether the army is 10,000 against one or whether it's one against 10,000. The same God is able to work in every situation. Can I just jump in right here with a little of my dialogue into this uh, passage and, and, and remind you this morning that it doesn't matter if your situation may seem simple to your neighbor or whether your situation may seem impossible to everybody that you know. It doesn't matter because my God is able to meet your need. It doesn't matter how small or how great your problem is. God is able to solve it. All you have to do is believe. I keep talking about this believe thing. Let me just remind you this morning that without faith, it is impossible to believe him or to please him. Everything that you receive from God comes through faith. The Canaanite woman came to Jesus because her daughter was vexed with devils. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know where to turn to. Somebody said, Pastor, why is it that people wait until they have nowhere else to turn before they turn to the Lord? You know, it's human nature, I suppose, but that's the way it is. When we have nowhere else to turn to, we try Jesus. You know, when everything's going good, we just come to church on an Easter Sunday morning. But when we're desperate, when the doctors say it's cancer, we show up to church. When our kids are out of control, we show up to church. When our marriage is falling apart, we show up to church. I, I, you'd rather me preach something that just makes you smile and laugh this morning, I suppose. I'm just trying to get through into our spirit this morning to understand that God is able to reign over everything and rule over everything in your life. I want to point something out to you. Great faith is not based on how people perceive you. Boy, look at him. He's a man of faith. Look at her. She's a woman of faith. Great faith is not about how people perceive you. Great faith is knowing that when I speak the name of Jesus that he's going to hear my prayer and he's going to come on the scene and he's going to answer and I can take God at his word. Great faith is believing that God can do anything and put no limitations on him. God specializes in turning things around. In changing things from the way they are. Are you tired of your mundane life? Why don't you try Jesus? Jesus. 
In creation, he turns nothing into matter. With his word, he turns darkness into light. It, with, he, he takes bad things in our life and he makes them good and, and he turns them around. He takes your bad decisions and he makes something good out of them. And, and in, 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 in this Easter setting this morning, he takes death and he speaks life back into it. The miracle of the resurrection teaches us that there is nothing too hard for God. If I can for the next five or ten minutes just preach the application of this message to you this morning. It is this, your tragedy is not too hard for the Lord. God often uses tragedies in our lives to bring the greatest testimonies into our lives. Most of you already know this story, but I have to share it because I would be amiss if I didn't, but January the 31st. It was an unforgettable day for me and many of you who may have been in this church on, East, on Sunday morning, January the 31st, when there was Sister Robin Mulberg was here, altar call was going on. We were praying for people in the front of the church. Sister Robin was here praying when all of a sudden death gripped her and her heart went out of control and her heart uh, began to, to, to lose its rhythm until it finally stopped pumping blood and she fell dead on the floor oh my word it was life changing I've had a lot of people that have said man I want to see the dead raised I used to say that too and I've said it before and I'll say it again this morning I could live the rest of my life on that testimony alone because I never want to experience somebody that I love and care about and seeing the, the dead raised through them, having to watch them die. I don't want to have to see that again. But the Lord taught this pastor and this church a huge lesson through the miracle of our very own resurrection. Because while here this morning we're celebrating the resurrection of our Lord, on January the 31st, we dealt with the death of one of our very own loved ones, somebody we cared deeply about as we watched her life being taken out of her body right here before our eyes. We had no clue as they left with her. And as the church stayed and prayed throughout the afternoon, we had no idea what the next day was going to hold. We had no idea idea that when she left here that she was going to live. I have paused and waited for this moment to actually share with you that when my wife and I got in the car and left here and began driving to the hospital here in Frankfurt as we heard the chopper arriving as they were going to take her to Indianapolis. I began in my mind, I began trying to think what am I going to say to this family? What can I possibly say uh, in my my mind, I was looking uh, for anything that I could hold on to. I, my wife was weeping. I was weeping. We were both desperate. God, we need a miracle. God, we need a miracle. We did not know what the next few moments was going to hold. We didn't know what the outcome was going to be. But oh, what joy came to us when the next day my wife and I walked into that hospital room and there she was sitting in a chair and her husband 
husband standing next to her and she said, hey pastor, how are you today? I came this morning to tell you that I have my very own resurrection story because somewhere between a hospital and the hospital in Indianapolis, God spoke life back into her body. I want to tell you that he didn't just do it just to say, hey look, here's a magic show, but he performed a miracle of resurrection in her life so that somebody would believe that Jesus Christ can do anything in your life. Your tragedy is not too hard for the Lord. You think your situation's too hard for God. I know we all do. No, nobody knows what I deal with. Nobody knows what I go through. Philippians chapter 4 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. Can I pause for a moment and tell you that when the doctor bills went over $100,000, not only did God speak life back into her, but God caused somebody to take a, the, the stroke of a, of a computer and say, You know what? We're just going to wipe out the bills while we are at it. God not only wants to resurrect your marriage, God wants to put you back together in wholeness. God wants to give you fullness of mind, fullness of spirit. He not only wants to save you this morning, but he wants to give life back into your existence. Psalm 84 says, no good thing Will he withhold from them? Romans chapter 8. Somebody said, well, I don't know why I have to deal with this. Why we have to go through this. Romans chapter 8 said, we know all things work together for the good to them that love the Lord. Can I just speak a word into somebody's life this morning? Your situation was never intended to destroy you. And it's not too hard for God. Why don't you look at your neighbor and tell him it's not too hard for God. Go ahead, say it like you mean it. It's not too hard for God. Somebody says, well, if you knew where I was, then you wouldn't be preaching such faith, Pastor. My deliverance is just, it, 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 it's, it seems to be impossible. The enemy would like to blind you to the fact that there is nothing more powerful than the delivering power of our God. And the miracle of the resurrection is a testimony to every life of every person in this room this morning that God can do anything. That God can do anything. Can I tell you Satan is not in control of your deliverance? Satan's not in control. Well, you know, Satan had me bound, bless his name. That's how you live. That's how some of us live. We give the enemy more, we give the enemy more credit than what he's due. Satan is not in control of your destiny. Satan is not in control of your life unless you give him control of your life. God is in control of your deliverance. God is in control of your healing. God is in control of your marriage if you put it into his hands. God is in control of your emotional state if you put it into his hands. In Exodus chapter 3, the Lord says to Moses, Certainly, I will be with you.
because he was fearful of doing what God was nudging him to do. He was to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But he's arguing with God. That's what we do. We argue with God. Well, it's Easter Sunday. The pastor's just riled up a little bit. God ordained your life to be free. Free from fear. Free from worry. Free from doubt. Free from depression. Free from the bondage of sin. Free from addictions. God ordained it and Satan has no control over it. The only control he has is the control that you are yielding to him. And often you yield it to him by your words. I can't handle this. You're right. You can't handle it. So you better put it in the hands of God because if not, the enemy will come in and he will take over. But you've got to put it in the hands of God. That situation you've been struggling with, stop struggling with it. Why don't you this morning just say, God, I'm putting it into your hands. I'm turning it over to you. The battle is no longer mine but belongs to you. Where is your trust? I think I read somewhere in Psalm chapter 20, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. What does that mean? In everyday language, this is what it means. Some trust in money, some trust in doctors, some trust in therapists, but I trust in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He can deliver. Talked to somebody some time ago. And I said, you need to get back in church. You need to live right. You need to do right. And they said, oh, yeah, I've gone too far. I've walked too far away from God. I've gotten my life too entangled in the things of this world. Can I tell you this morning that you haven't gone too far for God? First John chapter 1 says it like this. He is faithful and just. To forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God can do anything. What he did for one, he will do for another. God is able to part the impassable waters in your life. God is able to make a way where there seems to be no way. God is able to open doors that no man can open And he's able to close doors that no man can close because he is God and he is God alone. But the enemy would like for you to believe this morning that you have gone too far. The enemy would like for you to believe that there is no hope for you. The enemy would like you to believe that you could never recover from your past. But I come this morning to remind you That God knows no impossibilities. The resurrection this morning stands as proof. To every believer or non-believer alike. It is proof that God can do anything. For if he can raise himself from the dead. He can reach into your situation this morning and turn it around. And the things that the enemy would like to use against you. God can turn it and make it work for your good. Because that's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God we serve. Pastor, you don't know how far I've gone. I've heard it said. I talked to the young man that said I've gone too far. 
But I want to remind you this morning that where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul said, the word of the Lord came to him and here's what God said to him. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee. And my strength is made perfect in weakness. Can I tell you this morning that at every weak place in your life is where God's strength can come in. Because the area of your weakness is where God's strength abounds. For with God nothing is impossible. I want to remind you today that nothing is too hard for the Lord. He has a history of doing the impossible. I close with this this morning. As I looked through the scripture and began to just look at impossible situations that God resolved, I, I found that he closed the mouths of the lions for Daniel. He parted the Red Sea for Moses. He caused the sun to stand still for Joshua. He opened the prison for Peter. He put a baby in the arms of Sarah. He raised Lazarus from the dead. That on the third day he arose. Surely he can take care of you. And surely he can take care of your problems. For he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. I want to ask you a very sobering question this morning as you bow your head and close your eyes right where you're sitting today. and No one's moving. I just want you to listen to the questions that I'm going to ask you this morning. And would you in your heart make some decisions this morning? Easter is a story of recovery. It's more than just a one-day resolution. When Jesus got up from the grave, he became the victor forever. Today would be a good day for you to start the journey of recovery from whatever it is that you may suffer from this morning. I want to ask you a question this morning, a very clear and concise question. And the question that I have for you today is what could your future look like? What could your future look like? The next question I want to ask you this morning is, realistically, where do you see yourself three months from now? Or six months from now? Or even next year? Where, where do you see your life? What direction are you going? Where are you headed in life? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Take this moment serious, please. What would you like the story of your life to look like? How would you like your story to read? What could forever look like in your life.
What do you see God doing for you today that sets you on course for forever? Because when he got up on that Easter Sunday morning, he didn't get up to sit back down, but he got up to reign forever and to rule forever. And what God wants to do for you this morning could be an everlasting experience. It could be an everlasting experience of favor in your life. My final question for you this morning, how do you want your story to end? What's the ending of your story? Because you're still drawing a breath. It's not over yet. No matter what the storyline has looked like through your life, from here forward, the ending could change. It could even surprise you and surprise all of those around. It could be a surprise ending for you. God could turn it all around for you. God could turn it around. He could turn it around. Now, I've asked your questions this morning. Is there anybody in the room today that while nobody's looking around, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, nobody is looking around, would there be somebody just slip up a hand this morning and say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me because I need to change course this morning in my life. I need God to do something special for me. God bless that hand and that three, four, five hands this morning. Are there other hands that would be raised this morning? Six, seven, eight hands. Come on, that's it. Keep lifting your hands. Nine, ten hands. Hands all over the room this morning. Hands all over the room this morning. God wants to change your life. God wants to change your life. Now stand to your feet with me this morning and let's sing this chorus together and let him be glorified in your life today. Forever he is lifted high. Forever he the words now sing forever forever he's glorified forever he is lifted high 